Hello and welcome back. This week for episode 13, I'm joined by Roger Safford from BirdLife International, where we are taking a step back and addressing some of the more fundamental questions of conservation. How are species doing? Why are they threatened? Why should we bother saving them at all? Roger draws on more than three decades of experience to tackle these questions and shows that actually, in many cases with a little dedication, we really can overturn what may appear as hopeless odds. If you like this episode and would like to follow Roger's work, please follow the links in the description. And if you would like to support us, you can make a donation at restoreourplanet.org or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Enjoy the conversation. Hello, welcome back to our Restore Our Planet podcast with me, your host, Jack Cole. Today I'm joined with Roger Safford, who's going to give us a bit more of an sort of a step back overview of species and some of the more fundamental questions in conservation. So Roger, good morning, how are you? Good morning, Jack, I'm very well, thank you, and I uh, hope you are too. Thank you so much. So to kick things off, Roger, would you like to just give us a, we'll start quite broadly. Um, so in general, how are, how are species doing? Well, species uh, are not doing terribly well on the whole. Um, and I'm sure the, the, the messages of doom and gloom have, uh, have reached uh, most of uh, most of our listeners too. But it's, it's a complex story um, because some are, some are doing far better than others, of course. So let's get to the basics. And I'll, I'll stick to birds as, as the focus. That's, that's that's my home territory, and, and many of the same general principles apply to, to everything else. Um, there are around about eleven thousand species of birds on the planet. Uh, depending on exactly what you call a species, but the, the variations are not great. Um, and of those, according to the IUCN Red List of Threatened Species, about 1,500, that's more than one in eight, are threatened with extinction. So that's, uh, that's a rather daunting start. Um, and I can say that in, in many other groups, uh, the proportion of threatened species, you know, amphibians and mammals and, and plants and so on, uh, the proportions are, are worse. Um, and then there can be species that are declining, but are not yet. We don't really think they're, they're threatened with extinction. Um, and that's a rather shocking 48% of all the birds of the world uh, are, appear to be declining in populations. Um, and uh, in case you think the other 52 are increasing, uh, sadly not so, it's only about 6% are increasing. Uh, most of the rest are stable or a few, we're not sure. Um, so uh, there's also been a couple of studies done in, in Europe and, and North America uh, looking at just the sheer numbers of birds and the declines in, in birds across, across these great regions. And you know, there was a, a study that, that reckoned that 3 billion individual birds had been lost in terms of total populations in the US and Canada in the last 50 years um, and uh, hundreds of millions in Europe over the last 30 years or so. So um, there are, um, there are the success stories, but the overall, we, we can't hide from the fact that, that they are declining. Of course, of course. Um, quite sobering. Just out of interest, you mentioned that six, there's a 6% are experiencing increase. Do you know which ones those are? Well, there are some examples. Mm, um, like, well, there, there are, I mean, quite a few of the, the increasing species um, they are species that are responding to, to conservation, to successful conservation measures. Okay. Um, 
but there are there are certain species that that simply are are, are pre-adapted to to respond to the way um, the way mankind manages resources. They actually fit in with that rather well, and some of them respond very well to to um, to our new farming practices. Most of them don't, but 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 some do, and I'm sure you know many many people watching the UK will will notice the sort of enormous numbers of wood pigeons and crows in the landscape. Um, and these are some of the kinds of species, many of which, not all of which, are are increasing. Right. I came across something rather similar in insects, which is to say, you know, with the kind of decline of sort of beetles and, and butterflies, we've actually seen an increase in sort of cockroaches and a lot of these more kind of sort of the you know adapting to sort of the you know the, the spread of society and human impacts and things. Um, but that's really interesting. So, okay, so tell us when did this all start? And why did it start? Well, I mean, um, species have been disappearing. Um, well, of course, they've all there's always a turnover of species. That that's a, nat a natural process. But um, our records go back, sort of fairly detailed records, pieced together by various means, go back to around 1500, the year 1500. Um, and since then, I mean, there's some figures on extinctions. And we reckon that, that just under 190 species have gone extinct since 1500, but 67 have gone extinct in the last 100 years. Just because so, is that in the UK? Or? It, that's globally. That's globally, okay. So that's birds globally. Right. Um, so extinctions have been going on uh, throughout recorded history and I mean, before 1500 it's very difficult to put numbers but we know that there were big extinctions caused as as humans spread into new parts of the world and introduced new species and new threats to, to the world um, there was certainly a, a, an increase um, related to the industrial Re revolution um, and then uh, a further increases as as the population um, as as populations have uh, spread and intensified their resource use around the world during the 20th century. So it has been going on continuously, but with a with a steady increase in the in the sort of impacts, um, you know, as as time has passed towards the present. Well, so you mentioned there, of course, the industrial revolution and the you know the spread of, of societies and populations. More, specific, more specifically speaking, what are the direct threats to, to birds? Um, obviously, human-related, but more on a more kind of local scale, what, what happens? Yeah. What's going to happen? Well, we've, we've got good information on that because we, we for all the threatened species, we keep a, a log of, of the processes that are threatening them. So um, looking at the things that are, that are threatening those species that are already threatened, I'll explain that slightly tangled language in a second, um, the, the biggest one is agricultural in, intensification and extensification, in other words, the spread of agriculture, the conversion of, of natural or semi-natural habitats to agriculture. Then there's logging of, of both tropical and temperate forests. Um, there is the problems of hunting and trapping of birds, um, and I'm sure all, all the listeners will be aware of the enormous scale of hunting and trapping that takes place I mean, it takes place for, for trade in, in live birds it also takes place for a whole range of different regions but involving the killing of birds netting shooting glue sticks 
And this is often a problem, uh, particularly for migrant birds, because uh, they migrant birds tend to get concentrated through sort of narrow corridors, where you know which are the most advantageous routes to, to get to their winter quarters and, and back again. And that's where the trappers and the hunters may congregate. So there are various, you know, um, bad areas for that. Um, we're, we're very familiar with some of the, the Mediterranean spots, but there's, there are other issues around the world. In fact, you know, where similar things happen in other parts of the world where there are these sorts of problems. Um, and we're looking into that more, um, more and more. Then there's the, the, what we call the invasive species. You know, species that have been uh, introduced outside their normal range and have uh, uh, brought with them characteristics that make them very threatening to the local wildlife. You know, and this is especially things like cats and rats, but there are hundreds of different invasive species, plants, insects, you name it. Um, there's the spread of, of urbanization and infrastructure, um, of fire and pollution, of course. Um, and we sometimes calling all these things threats. Sometimes it's a little bit awkward because I mean nobody's going to say, "Well, we will have to stop agriculture and urbanisation." Well, no, we need to eat. And we need places to live, but we just have to do it the right way and in the right places. And then, of course, the the one I haven't mentioned is climate change. So now let, let me just cover that. So climate change, the most threatened species at the moment, the ones on the brink of extinction. That's that's not because of climate change. Um, you know, because there are very immediate threats to them that in most cases will not, not be caused by, by climate change. But climate change threatens a huge range of birds and it's causing their ranges to change. You know, the areas that are suitable for them um, will, will shift and that may be okay, may even be advantageous to them. So we're getting all sorts of wonderful birds from Europe colonizing Britain at the moment, which is rather fun for bird watchers in, in Britain. Um, if they have the room to expand and move, that's great. But what if they don't? What if they're confined to a mountaintop that becomes unsuitable? But there are all kinds of impacts like this where the birds aren't able to adapt to, to, the, uh, to the effects of climate change. And uh, you know, that will cause huge changes and losses to our, our birds. So those are, those are, I would say, the main threats to, to bird species and probably most other wildlife. So over the past couple of centuries, on average, uh, well, obviously not in all parts of the world, but quality of life for most people in many countries has improved. And this is of course going alongside the species decline. Why should humans, you know, if things are getting better generally, why should humans care that these uh, all these species are dying off if we're seeing such an improvement in so many areas of society? Well, I think that, I mean, a, a, a key point to make is, is that um, we know that we get, we get the, the management right. We can have things both ways. We can, we can continue our improvements in the standard of living and our health and, and all the other things that, that, that we reasonably want. Um, and we can have the wildlife too if we, if we play it right. And this is important. It's, and the, the two aren't actually separate. It's the survival of the wildlife that is actually part of that standard of living. You know, and, and, and the, the best improvements of standard of living, I think, come in those places where, where the, the values of wildlife have been maintained and are still part of that, of, of our lifestyles. So, you know, species, um, species are important, 
for a whole range of, of reasons. I mean, there is just the, the fundamental point that they have they have a right to exist, which may not cut much ice with with everybody. But there are eth ethical reasons, of course, for for and you know spiritual reasons why species should should be you know helped to persist. But there are ecological reasons. You know, they they help. They help to maintain the cycles of, of nutrients and the biological cycles, the pollinization um, and pollination and um, dispersal of fruits and so on. You know all these all these functions that that species play. Many of them have enormous cultural importance and they enrich our lives. And you know many of the, the birds and culture you see going back to Egyptian hieroglyphics and, and so on. You constantly are reminded how important they are to people and what you know what a lot would be missing from 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 cultural history of the planet with without them um and some of them have, have direct economic values as well so the, the the two can go together okay all right so we've painted a nice uh, picture there what is the appropriate response um Quite, yes. quite, again, sorry, quite a broad question. Once no, again, well, but what's, uh, how do we go about all this? <laughs> it's it, it's fundamental. Um, I think so. We've got the threats, and we know, you know, and we know what we want to do. We want, well, roughly, we know what we want to do. We've decided these things are worth saving. So, how are we going to do it? So, there's various ways. I mean, you can you can have technical solutions to all the threats one by one. Bang, bang, bang. We'll sort them out one by one. But how are you going to make that happen, really, on, 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 in the real world? You have to have knowledge about exactly what works and what the problems you're trying to solve. Um, you have to have the political will and the social will to, to behind it. You have to have leaders and organisations that are capable of doing the work. Um, you have to have cooperation between different sectors and individuals. And you have to have the money as well. But then suppose you've got all those, what are you going to do? Well, so in most cases, but not, not all, as I will get to, I hope, in a little while, sites are the key, really. Um, you know, you, you, for three quarters, we reckon, of threatened birds, conserving the sites where they occur and just managing them in a sustainable way um, is, is the main way to go. And the, the, the sites for the, that are important for birds are mostly quite well known. We, we call them important bird areas, IBAs, or sometimes important bird and biodiversity areas, recognising that there's more to, more to it than birds. Some of them protected. We just have to protect them better and continue to protect them. Some of them are unprotected and probably never will be and even perhaps shouldn't be protected in a sort of formalised way. You know, there are, there's some wonderful work going on on vultures in South Asia, in, in India, um, involving what, what they call vulture safe zones. And these are big areas where it, it's, it's basically a, a voluntary agreement where everyone understands that vultures are good things to have around. They clean up the landscape. They don't do any harm. And uh, they have importance in all sorts of ways, in fact. Um, there's no need to lock, lock them away in protected areas. There are just a few things we can do to manage the land to, to encourage vultures to prosper. So again, it's all part of managing sites successfully. But then we need to look at the wider landscape and we need to keep and we need to restore the natural habitats um, 
you know, and so here we talk about, we often hear the phrase nature recovery, which we didn't a few years ago, you know, as, as part of, the, it's becoming part of policies on all kinds of things, you know, on, on agriculture and urbanization and so on. And that's, that's really encouraging that um, this sort of idea, I mean, there's a little rather, um, some, sometimes a slightly tiresome term, mainstreaming, but it, it's about right. It, it, it's pushing it into the, to the bigger processes that, 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 that sort of drive economies. And then, of course, this rewilding is another part of, of looking at that wider landscape. I know one of your previous podcast speakers, Peter Smith, has spoken very knowledgeably on that, so I won't dare to try to follow Peter, um, but it's well worth a listen. Um, and then there's another, another part we have to do, and this is where the species work comes in. There are some threats to species that can sort of get in there when you think you've protected a site and you're doing all right. What happens if someone goes into that site and catches your species to be traded? What happens if they get in there and poison, put out poison for a predator they don't like? Or, uh, or perhaps the species leaves the protected area, leaves the national park and, and, and gets poisoned or, or shot or something outside the protected area. What if um, an invasive species finds its way into your protected area, your, your beautifully managed site. Um, you've got to deal with those problems or your species and it, you'll have a beautiful site and a beautiful habitat and your species will go extinct in it. So you have to take measures to prevent or to change people's behavior. You know, say if it's about trade, you might want to stop stop the trapping if it's if it's if the trade is illegal and unsustainable you would want to stop the trapping but you might also want to look at the consumers of, of the of the trade at the other end the buyers and persuade them that perhaps they don't really need that anyway do they so you know you can you can work on things at both ends so all these measures sometimes you do need to take do more than just manage a habitat and the site of course just going back a little bit there, you mentioned sort of vulture safe zones, which have been cropping up in parts of uh, India, for example. Birds, of course, uh, fly, <laughs> um, and often quite long distances. How do you tackle those more complex examples? Um, you mentioned sort of flyways through the Mediterranean, um, and obviously lots of hunting and lots of, you know, they're covering a lot of, a lot of land, a lot of different countries, a lot of different governments, a lot of different cultures. How do you address those more complex uh, flyways well yes cooperation is the name of the game and and good knowledge uh but of course you know as as, as you as you're intimating you, you success in one area can be undermined by failure somewhere else um and so you you know you need you need to identify the really crucial places because but you know when 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 birds migrate they do spend quite a lot of the time on their route in quite specific areas. It's not just a sort of broad stream of birds heading heading up and down continuously. Right. They stop, they refuel, they get concentrated in bottlenecks, you know, and that's where they're vulnerable. So it's good to have a knowledge of, of where those places are and then why are they being persecuted exactly? Uh, you know, is it for sport? Is it for food? You know, there, there are all kinds of possible uses for that. So you do need to understand what what the problems are, but go back a step to say what are the 
drivers of those problems. Are they cultural? Are they socioeconomic? Are they poverty? And, and so on. Um, and then you, know, you do need plans. You need agreed plans that involve the governments and that involve the local people who live at the, along the flyways and everything in between. You know, there might, there might be private sector, there might be companies who own land or who carry out activities that affect things. And of course, there are conservation organisations like, like the one I work for, um, who, are, who will also help to provide the solutions and to demonstrate them and um, you know, work with the governments to implement them over wider areas. And there are conventions also that helps. I mean, there's a, there's a convention, a UN convention on migratory species, which exists to do just this type of thing to actually promote sort of joined up conservation so that you don't have um, the, whole, the whole idea sort of falls flat because of one, one weak link in the chain. All right, brilliant. Um, as you mentioned, you of course work, work with bird life who obviously his name suggests focus on birds. Why are birds important to the ecosystem specifically? What do they bring that perhaps other species do not? Yeah, they, they um, for me, I think everyone probably has their own ideas about, about exactly why. I mean, you know, we can admire their, their beauty, uh, you know, and the, the, the fascination, maybe you could say that about many species, one of the things about them is they are they are great ambassadors for the natural world because birds are everywhere you know birds you can you can see you can see birds in the middle of the pacific ocean you can see birds in the middle of london uh you can see birds um several hundred kilometers inland in antarctica believe it or not they're breeding seabirds that that, that for some reason they head into cliffs far inland you know they are, wow. they are just everywhere and so for many of us you know um they are our only or by are by far our most frequent connection to the natural world um so they're ambassadors and you know and, and they help us to to connect to the natural world and then discover the rest which are all equally wonderful in their own way but they're a good start the other thing about uh, thing about birds is that they are they're indicators now to be a bit careful here because they're not uniquely sensitive to, to changes in the environment which is sort of one of the things an indicator has to be um, there are all sorts of other things that are indicators too but they're particularly good because we know so much about them so we can do the sorts of analysis of, of changes because we know where they all occur we know roughly how many they are so we can detect changes using birds that would be very difficult to do anywhere else so you add you add those sort of um, ambassador and and uh, indicator roles to the, the the sort of the cultural, the ethical, the, the ecological, the economic arguments, which all work for birds too. And I think you've got a case for 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 bird conservation. Brilliant. You've worked in conservation for a number of decades, um, as you mentioned before. For our, for our podcast, what are some of the major changes that you've seen in approaches to conservation that really stand out for you? Um, Positive ones, let's say. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I mean, I, th I think the, big, the biggest change, and it's actually picking up speed now, as we realise how, how, how far things have got, you know, is, is how it's, it, it's much less of a quirky pursuit of, of oddball folks you know, it's it, it's it's understood 
that this really matters to everybody. And, you know, as we've, as we've been locked down for the best part of t- two years with various re- temporary reprieves and hopefully coming out of it, you know, so many people have realised that, that the sort of refuge from, from this has been in nature and it's been so helpful to people's mental health. Um, but equally, you know, the, the economic arguments are being seen. It's, it, it, it's, um, you know, it's fairly widely accepted that the new directions for agriculture um, you know, are, are no longer just based on, on areas being farmed, but on the environmental benefits that, that come with that farming while producing food. So I think that's, that's the biggest change. But I think also the increasing, getting back to species, the increasing sophistication um, and the demonstrations of extraordinary successes in species conservation you know, have, have been quite inspiring and that, that is definitely still still happening and, and, and I would say increasing. You mentioned economic benefits there. A lay person may say, think of you know, agriculture and, and other forms of land use, excuse me, <clears throat> as bringing about sort of quite obvious economic benefits, growing food uh, and other things. What are some of the economic benefits of essentially, I'm sort of dropping you a bit of a rewilding question here, but what are the benefits of just, you know, giving uh, land back to nature in some ways, in an economic sense? Well, a, a, lot, of, a lot of what I hear about, about rewilding, what we'll hear about rewilding, you know, is it, it's talking about how it, it gets ecological processes going again, that are sort of broken down. Um, you know, and so this this can bring enormous benefits in terms of in, environmental quality, you know, water quality, air quality, um, and so on. I mean, it can bring uh, so that there are those sorts of environmental quality arguments. There are um, employment. You know, it's it's also appreciated that when you uh, if you restore an area or you rewild an area of the various different a- approaches to sort of helping nature recover on, on a large scale, that does actually bring, bring with it tremendous opportunities to, to bring people in and to, you know, perhaps there might be some harvesting of some products without damaging the, the ecosystem. Um, but, you know, th- there are jobs, there's tourism, um, all, all kinds of recreational opportunities can come with those that um, may actually be greater than than what what people had thought in, in beforehand. Brilliant, no, fantastic. So, Roger, there are some myths surrounding well, the conservation work, aren't there? Um, would you like to sort of break some of those down for us? And, and uh, yeah. yes, with pleasure. Um, so, I think you know, particularly talking about conserving species. Um, isn't it enough to save species and sites? That's what we should be doing. And that will bring all the species with it that live in those sites. So that's what we should be doing, isn't it? Um, well, up to a point. I, I certainly wouldn't dismiss that. And in fact, I said earlier on that sort of for, for three courses of threatened species saving sites is, is the sort of primary approach. Um, but uh, as I also said, there are an awful lot of threats to species that can sort of get into a, a well-protected site or habitat and knock those species out. And so, you know, I recall a time in, um, excuse me, the place name dropping, but it was work, working in in, uh, in in South Southeast Asia, um, and um, 
I'd been work, visiting some various patches of forest over the course of several days. And it occurred to me after about three days that I hadn't seen a single animal larger than uh, a European blackbird. That's not right. That's not how it should be. Um, and this was because of hunting and trapping and snaring of, of anything large enough. Uh, and presumably, you know, the mammals and other wildlife had gone. And you, know, you hear, you also hear in, in the most intensively trapped areas for songbirds, um, people talk about silent forests. Forests look lovely. And yet part of the wildlife of those forests is gone because it's been extracted. So habitats and sites is not enough. You, and you have to know, I mean, and you conserve, you, you, let's have lots of lots of projects to conserve habitats and sites, but let's just check what species are there. Let's think, of our management, is our management going to save those species? And let's monitor to check whether that's working or not. And if we do all that, and then we may need to tweak the management to help the species, um, then fine. But don't assume that uh, the species conservation will, will you know, doesn't have its own requirements to save particular species as well. And people say, um, you know, sites and habitat conservation will save species. Funnily enough, yes, mostly, but it can be the other way around. So I cut my teeth in, in conservation in Mauritius and um, some of the most famous conservation successes in, in relation to species took place there. Um, and the species work came first. So the Mauritius kestrel was saved and various other birds were saved. And then its habitat, you know, that drew attention to the habitat, to the, to the vegetation and to the other birds and the reptiles and the insects. And building on that, there's now a, a national park covering most of the, of the natural habitats of Mauritius, protecting the whole lot. But let it not be forgotten that that was driven originally by species work. So as I say, it can be the other way around. And then the other myth um, is the notion that there are too many species. You know, we can't, you can't, there are millions of species across the planet. We can't say save them by one, can't too expensive, right, right. Yeah, there are too many. Um, it's too expensive and extinctions are inevitable anyway. Um, so, so one by one, yes, you can't, you can't save them one at a time. That's, that's obvious, but that no one is actually seriously suggesting that we do. You, you pick your targets, you pick the runs where a species approach is, is the right way. So then are the costs too high? Um, and, and is it all hopeless? Is uh, extinctions inevitable? Well, there's a quote, one of my favorite quotes ever by, by a conservation biologist, a chap called Michael Soule, he said, talking about species conservation, he said, there are no hopeless cases, only people without hope and expensive cases. Uh, that sums it up, really. Just talking about hopelessness, um, we've, you know, species have been recovered from populations in, in single figures, up to hundreds or even thousands global populations in single figures. I've, I've seen more than half of the population, of world wild population of the pink pigeon in one tree. There are hundreds of them now. Where was that? In this, the pink pigeon is, is it comes from Mauritius. It's, oh, that is Mauritius. Yeah, yeah wow. that's right. Um, you know, it, it's not hopeless. Um, some people may think so, but 
and I don't believe, I mean, perhaps somewhere there's a species that has a completely unsolvable problem, but I've yet to, I've yet to hear exactly what species is really impossible to save if, if we don't, you know, try hard enough. And then as for expense, I would challenge that too. Now, species conservation can be expensive, you know, since dealing with, with very large mammals, for example. Um, and, and some bird species conservation is fairly expensive, but there's a sort of assumption that, that hands-on work, um, you know, very close monitoring is impossibly expensive. It isn't, it really isn't. The people doing it are enthusiasts. They don't get paid big salaries. They get a lot done for a little money, um, you know, and the, the, the saving of the Mauritius kestrel, as I mentioned earlier, that drove the work in, 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 in to conserve the habitats of Mauritius was really done on a shoestring, looking back on it, you know, compared to what gets spent on some grandiose infrastructure uh, schemes. So let's keep some perspective and, uh, you know, not, not say, oh, it's too expensive to be worth it. So there we are. Yeah, no, so brilliant. A few, few little so, myths, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So just to carry on from your previous uh, message of, of hope there, what would you say to some young potential uh, conservationists who are perhaps just starting out in their careers and they're sort of seeing, you know, everything, this, this great species die off and habitat die off going on around them and things may feel a little bit hopeless. What would you say to, to encourage some young, some youngsters who might be listening? Yeah, I, well, I'd say go for it because you can make a difference. You know, species conservation works. Get on and do it. You know, it, it mostly works actually. You know, it's where there's not many programs that have that have tried really hard and failed. There are some that haven't quite got there yet. But you know, we've 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 done an analysis recently that that has shown that probably between twenty and thirty or well, twenty one thirty two extinctions, you know, would have happened but have been prevented in the last thirty years or so by conservation action. You know, these things the very last individual would have gone, every single one. Then you think, okay, so, you know, that's, that shows, and this, this, is, this is happens on, on islands, but it also happens on mainland, mainlands as well, where species conservation can work. And that, that excludes all the species that um, have increased, have improved their status, you know, even if we can't say they, they would have gone extinct, but they're an awful, doing an awful lot better than they were. Um, you know, and there's another analysis that, that suggested that the, the extinction rate of birds is, is actually, um, it, the rate is, is, is decreased by a good 40% thanks to conservation work. You know, that's how much worse things would be without conservation. It's worth it. It makes a difference. It's, it, it's not all doom and gloom. Um, so, you know, you, you can make a difference. It's a competitive field, but then look at, look at the way that conservation has become more mainstream, as I say, and, and, and being sort of environmental requirements are increasingly written into regulations. People have got to get out there and enforce it and demonstrate that it's happening and work out new ways to implement it. So it's, it's a big field and there are all sorts of ways in. Um, you don't need, you don't need necessarily need to have specialized training or a degree and you certainly don't need a PhD to, to, get in there and, and make a difference in the environment it, it, it's a really exciting field to go to, to get into it's not easy you probably won't get very rich but um it's uh, th there's a lot of potential there and it's, it's a great thing to go for brilliant 
And what specific projects are you excited about at the moment that you've been working on? Well, there's there's a there's a couple. I mean, I'm I'm there's 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 the point I'm trying to sort of emphasise in this in this in this podcast you know, of uh, really flying the flag for species conservation. I think that's really important for the you know those of us who, who care about about species and who see these successes. That, that you know, it, it's part of my role at BirdLife International is to promote species conservation. Someone said to me species conservation is an endangered species you know as people sort of peel away from it but then more specifically a couple of really big challenges but where i can see that we we can make a difference uh are vultures um vultures are wonderful birds extraordinary unique birds um but they're they're declining horribly and they're they're, they're particularly by being by being poisoned across large parts of the world so different species of vultures occur in, in in large parts of the world um so they're really difficult problems there's a very difficult mix of of drivers for the for the poisoning and the other causes of mortality of vultures um but um uh, we're starting to make a difference. We're starting to see, you know, ways that we can reduce this this poisoning threat, and people appreciate vultures more. And you know, vultures are now quite a common sight in southern Europe, for example, when they were declining um, before. They've been, you know, they all you could say they're quite abundant in Spain now. Um, so that's exciting. I'd love to, you know, to see more of the success that we've seen there. Um, and uh, we're beginning to see it work in in Africa and Asia as well. Let's have more of that. And also looking at the bird trade, and that's an exciting and again a very challenging area. Um, I mentioned this issue of you know dealing with demand, dealing with supply, and you have to deal with the transit sites as well. And perhaps you can you can nobble the the, the chain in in all these places. You know, assuming that you want this trade to stop, um, there are ways to do it. Um, uh, and but but all of them are proven, you know, that they can su- succeed. But we need to, you know, come up with with plans that work across these long long supply chains um, and, and stop this stop this threat because it's it's so unnecessary. I think we can. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. So, Roger, is there anything else you'd like to like to, like to share, or or where perhaps people could follow your work or anything? Well, I, I mean, if you, if you want to read about the work of, of BirdLife International, um, you know, then we have a website. We also active on social media, um, and uh, you know, you will see there are, there are a, a good a good range of stories about species. And we have our reports on the state of the world's birds, which in, in, which really shows you the importance of species in in demonstrating uh, what what we do. Um, and, and and as part of what we actually achieve in, in saving species, um, so that's uh, th- that's a way to, um, to to follow what BirdLife International is doing. Um, and of course, we have partner organisations all all around the world, sort of national organisations. So whatever country you're in, there are bound to be national conservation organisations that you can follow uh, and get directly involved that way. And we hope that organisations like BirdLife will be able to help. Um, to support those those efforts. Roger, thank you for your time. It's been wonderful speaking with you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Okay.